Hey, this is Butch Patrick. That's right, Eddie Munster. And it's almost Halloween. If you're listening to me, you're listening to Canned Air Podcast. And their podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Candair Podcast. I am Jeremy Colley. And I'm Jack DeRooney. And I am Randy Hardenbrook. Wow, that was an experience for our listeners and for me. Sorry. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of them. No, welcome everyone to the 2020 Halloween special. I mean... We're going to try to make it scary in here, but shit's pretty scary out there already, people, so uh, we're going to do our best here. But no, in a traditional uh, Halloween style, as we do when we have this uh, show, when we do this episode, uh, we're going to start by going around telling stories, things that we've found online, and uh, just... Or real life. Or real life. Or, or stuff that... Is that... Do you have a story? That's what that, mine, yeah. Oh, okay. It might stuff be more funny. Shit that's happened to you, you guys. real life? Yeah, yeah. Really? Okay. It might be more funny to you guys than it was to wow. me. <laughs> you just kind of broke me there. I couldn't yeah. get the words out. It was rough for me this year. I'm excited for that. Uh, where, Andy, what are you going to be talking about in a nutshell? Uh, so basically, I've got some Ohio-themed monsters. So if you're not in Ohio listening to this, sorry, but uh, we got some cryptids that I want to talk to you about and one that was actually found. So. Oh, shit. Mm. Now that sounds cool. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm keeping in the tradition of what I do every Halloween. I'll typically find a movie that a horror movie that's grounded in reality and then just dig up the true story behind ah, it. Yes. So what I have done, since we have a very special guest from the movie The Hills Have Eyes this week, I have looked up the true story behind The Hills Have Eyes. Supposedly true. Who knows if it actually is, but holy shit. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty out there. It's out there. We have a pretty big episode for you guys today. Because that we do. We uh, also have three guests. Yes. Count them. Three. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> ah stereo. <laughs> I love that. Right on cue. <laughs> Perfect. But yes, Randy is right. Big show for you today. First guest comes from the... Hulu movies, Pledge and Trick. We get to welcome Aaron Dallavilla to the show. Very excited to get to talk to him. And then after that, we're going to be joined by an actress who, man, if you were watching TV back in the day, like uh, Three's Company, I think she was uh, she piloted for Chrissy mm-hmm. for a little mm-hmm. bit. Yep. Uh, Eight is enough. Happy days. Uh, welcome back, Cotter. Uh, tons of shows, but best known for being uh, Brenda Carter in the classic 1977 classic The Hills Have Eyes. Suze Lanier Bramlett is joining us, so very excited to talk with her. That movie to this day is horrifying. I really put it up there for like Texas Chainsaw oh, Massacre. It's absolutely. just as horrifying, I think. And then after that, we are going to welcome Jason Voorhees himself from uh, Friday the 13th, 6, Jason Lives, and also 
portraying Elias Voorhees, Jason's father, in the newly, uh, or newer, I shouldn't say newly, but newer, crowdfunded uh, Friday the 13th movie, Vengeance. We welcome C.J. Graham, and I cannot wait to talk with him, too. And I cannot wait to see uh, Vengeance, because I wasn't even aware of it until we did research for this. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's crowdfunded, but it's like a new number seven. You know, it, it takes place right after six. Uh, sequel. Very much sequel. like they did with the newer Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a new sequel to, uh, uh, what, number two or what? Yeah, sure. I can't remember, but <laughs> you all know what we're talking about. So lots of cool freaking guests who have uh, had their hands in the horror world. What, Randy? Not only that... I've also got some snacks for all of us to try. Because, oh, hey, it wouldn't does. be Halloween if we're not eating shit, so. That's true. Lots of snacks, which we're going to get into a little bit later here, because these aren't ordinary snacks, nope. ladies and gentlemen. Not ordinary snacks at all, and me and Jack are kind of sweating at the brow here, <laughs> yeah. so. We'll see what we get into with that. So, before we do anything, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And let me tell you what, just go to CannedAirPodcast.com. There you can search our merch page for t-shirts, mugs, kinds of shit like that. And also become a patron. There's a patron button there you can click and for $5 a month get you access to the Canned Air Patreon pod on top of other goodies. Uh, gentlemen, what am I forgetting? If you can't get enough of your canned air guys, check out Jack and I every Tuesday night on Facebook, uh, starting at 9 p.m. Play some Jackbox with us, win some prizes, uh, you know, listen to Jack and I quip eloquently on there. So, you yes. know. Yeah. Very quippy. It's fun show. It's fun. And if you are somebody who might be in need of professional representation, whether you're a podcaster, singer, actor, clog dancer, whatever the hell you're doing, and you need represented, Steve Joyner might just be the guy for you. 816-605-4561. And uh, his name is easily Googleable. Googleable. There's also a link on our website, too. So. See, we just make it easy. Everything, everything we preach to you. Just go to the website, It's that easy. Anything else, gentlemen? Let's get this show on the road. Let's get to some horror stories. <laughs> All right, who, uh, <laughs> thank you both for that, that was fantastic. Where do we want to begin, gentlemen? All right, so I'll go ahead and go first. All right, Randy, what have you got for of us? Of the first three uh, cryptids I'd like to talk about tonight, this one is legit and has actually been found. A few episodes ago, we had uh, the pleasure of interviewing uh, Joe Alves, who was the designer for Jaws. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I used to go up to Lake Erie a lot as a uh, as a kid, and, oh, you yeah. know, always used to freak me out because I always think, you know, hey, there's sharks, but fresh water, no sharks, right? Mm-hmm. Well... Do you guys know that bull sharks can actually adapt to live in freshwater? No. And uh, back in 2010, there was a two-foot-long bull shark that somebody caught in the Ohio River. No kidding. What? Yep. Because the Ohio re- River feeds right off of Lake Erie, doesn't it? I mean... I think... Or I no, think what am I thinking of? What river... Uh, Olentangy. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Excuse me. Yeah, sorry. The Lake Erie wasn't really connected. It was just a metaphor to get into it but um apparently bull sharks are found all the time in the mississippi river there was a five foot one found in uh illinois uh back in i think the 30s wow so yeah where does that go with cryptid mythology sharks alligators in the sewer sharks in the freshwater rivers (laughs) okay (laughs) <laughs> it's like, Get out, Randy. Glad we started with that one. <laughs> no, I was thinking more like Loch, Loch Ness or yeah, Bigfoot or the Jersey Devil. Turned out or, to be just a shark. The next but... two won't won't 
Disappoint. Okay. <laughs> this one's called the Columbus Cucumber. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I cannot wait till we try these snacks. Oh, sweet, okay. sweet revenge. <laughs> All right, Jack, you're up. So you guys have been to like regular Halloween haunted houses before? Oh yeah. Yeah. How'd they ever fare with you guys? Pretty do you guys get scared or you just kinda of walk around? I mean around it's going, never Ooh, that's scary. I never understood. I don't know. My, me personally, it's all jump scares. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been to like the haunted like hospitals or asylums that like really take it next level yeah. where like people are chasing you yeah. and shit. Like, yeah. But I just can't see myself like my uh, mind lending to the horror of that. I'd just mm-hmm. be like a game of tag. <laughs> He's gonna get me. You know what I mean? I know that chainsaw doesn't have a uh, right. chain on it. Ha ha. Yeah. So like, I I never my mind never slips into the fact that there's real danger. I I went one time with Julie. Oh, sorry. No, I, I, I go ahead. Go ahead. I went one time with Julie and I was actually helping the entertainers because I would see somebody sneaking up behind us and I would like slow her down so they could like get right up in her face. And <laughs> yeah, I was laughing my ass mm. off the entire time. So. So that was pretty much my experience, except for this one part of the, ha- the haunted house that we were in. You ever, uh, you know, I think it was Nightmare on Elm Street one when Johnny Depp is sleeping in his bed oh, yeah. and yeah. Freddie comes like pushing through the wall over the top of the bed? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when we were going through the haunted house, it was just a like old like two-story house that all the windows were blacked out, and they made it like a maze inside. And all of a sudden, we're walking down the hallway, and then the lights go out. It was me, my buddy and his girlfriend, and her friend. And, of course, they're freaked out, the girls. Oh, it's scary. Right. Protect us. Well, we go down this hallway. <laughs> the girls <laughs> protect us. Yeah. We're walking down this hallway, and you can see kind of the walls doing that kind of thing where you see hands kind of pushing through. Uh-huh. But and it was dimly lit. Then all of a sudden, it went dark, and somebody pushed me into that wall, and I, like, mold, molded into it and could, like, feel stuff grabbing me. Oh, my God. It was the freakiest uh. thing in the world. <laughs> And every time I see any, like, I, that's one of my favorite movie special effects in horror movies is when the walls do that. Oh, right. Or any, any kind of flat surface where it just molds out and mm-hmm. you just see whatever behind it. But, man, that it gives me the chills thinking. every time I see it because I, like, experience that. All the, <laughs> the hands or whatever on you. Yeah. You made me think of, uh, I mean, not that it has anything to do with hands, but uh, when we were really young, my sister and I, our parents took us on this haunted hayride. I think, like, it was, like, being put on by a church or something, which... <laughs> Makes sense. After right, I yeah. tell you this, like, isn't <laughs> going to make much sense at all. But I, 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 my memory could be, again, very young I was. Anyway, this... I remember it was it was a hay wagon drugged by a tractor, obviously, people sitting on hay bales. And it goes out in the woods where there's people hiding around trees and in trees and, you know, bruh, bruh, jump scare kind mm-hmm. of shit. But on the way out, the the wagon stops in front of this house. Like, it's like a two-story house, like an actual house. I don't yeah. know if it's just like abandoned on a property, if these people actually lived there or what. But in And in the front yard was a casket just laying in the front yard. And it sat back pretty far. I I would say, what, probably about a good 30 to 40 yards back. Okay. And when you go past, you can hear and see, like, the silhouettes of a couple in there fighting. Like, a really bad fight. But, you know, you just go on and leave it. So after the ride's done, you come back. And you stop, and you can see the silhouettes, like, the hu- like the one killed the other. I assume the husband kills the wife. Mm. And 
all of a sudden you just hear this booming voice that said, get out, like coming from the house that was like echoing toward our wagon. And, you know, the adults are like, ooh, what's this? And me and my sister are shitting our <laughs> fucking pants, dude. I'm not kidding. Like, like we got to get out of here. You know? And again, you know, the wagon doesn't move. They just stay there. I told you to get out louder. Yeah. Next thing you know, you know, the, the tractor driver's playing into it. And he's like, oh, no. And he, like, puts the tractor in full gear forward. <laughs> That casket in the front yard swings open, and this butcher guy with a fucking axe comes out and starts on hoof, like hoofing after this wagon. And again, everyone's like, oh, is he going to get us? My sister and I, under the chairs, sobbing, tears, just screaming. And it's so funny because to hear my dad tell that story, I think he got more joy from our tears than he did the oh, actual hey oh, yeah. ride the way he tells it. <laughs> I had strong words with the pastor next week because Our Lady of Peace put on a good show. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Well, that was it. There's that. There's nothing like it being dark and you falling against a wall and you can't push off it to gain your balance again because yeah. you kind of fall into it. I, I thought you were going to say like you wrecked the set or something. <laughs> no, like, oh, no, no, no. It just, it, that scared the shit out of me because I couldn't. It was pitch black and I couldn't. I mean, what do you do? It you probably do threw off your equilibrium. I would yeah, yeah. If it were me, like I'd have been on the floor. <laughs> I was like just that. like, what the hell? I can't get up. <laughs> Oh I think my one of my buddy ended up grabbing me. He's like, "Come on!" I was like, "God!" Yeah. You're just like flopping around on the wall, and the other two people are like looking back at you, like, "Dude, what is your problem?" Actually, in the night vision, I'm just standing there. Oh my god! <laughs> just pushing on it. Nothing's really happening. I'm just, mm. yeah. No, yeah. thank you. No haunted houses for me. <laughs> All right, very cool. Let's get back over to Randy. All right, let's let me... hear about this other Randy's cryptid, cryptid like sewer rat cryptid, or. The cow in the past, you know. All right. <clears throat> this cow had two black spots. <laughs> I hate you both. I think I killed Chad. <laughs> All right. So... <laughs> I thought you were going to spit that shit. Everywhere. I was trying so hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to follow that, Jeremy? Uh, all right. <laughs> Not a cow with two black spots, preferably. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to switch it around and talk about this next one. <laughs> okay. So, because this one actually has a funny aspect to it. So there was a report of a dog man here in central Ohio, uh, which is the dog man is described as a werewolf-like creature. Uh, had reportedly been seen, wait for it, throughout all of Ohio, including here in the Columbus area. Eyewitnesses described the dogman creatures between four and six foot tall, often muscular, with pink and gray or gray skin. It sometimes is seen in all fours or walking bipedally. Now, that piqued my interest, so I had to track down this, this interview in the paper, right? So I found it, <clears throat> and this is a direct quote. The man who provided a full name but asked to remain anonymous says he was at home talking to his sister when he noticed the creature through the open door. We have a big field that leads to small woods, the eyewitness says, who claims to work in the food service. Uh, the neighbor has a pond. I saw movement right past my sister's head, whose back was against our sliding door leading to our backyard. 
it went full sprint towards the bean field and scared the hell out of me. The man described it as six foot tall creature covered in, and this is a direct quote, what looked like pink or gray skin with long ears, like a Doberman, uh, was muscular as hell and in a full stride. He said, I only saw the back of it, but it had human legs and ass. It sounds like a fucking kangaroo loose somewhere <laughs> yeah. is what it sounds like. But this, the part that struck me, and again, I will reread that last sentence. I only saw the back of it, but it had human legs and ass. Ain't no other animal has butt crack. <laughs> if I see something scary running through... Gorillas have, have asses, don't they? I don't think so. I think humans are the only ones that really have ass cheeks. Hmm. That's what differentiates us and makes what us about, able to uh, run, What about fucking guess. baboons? They got them like those those protruding red asses. Yeah. Man. I don't know. I'm just I'm concerned for that wolf man because if you got a hillbilly out there going, damn, that thing's got an ass on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd be running for the bean field too. Tied to a tree like Deliverance or some shit. <laughs> wow. I kind of just want to hear your third one now. <laughs> no, sorry, right. we'll come back to it. It, it. The third one doesn't necessarily mention if it has an ass or not. So, okay. <clears throat> All right, so what I am going to be talking about, uh, again, is the true inspiration behind The Hills Have Eyes. And have you guys heard the story of Alexander Sawney Bean? Or the Bean Clan from Scotland? Mm -mm. No? Mm -mm. All right. Let me enlighten you, boys. Oh, do let's. This was uh, the 16th century, Scotland, again. And whether or not this even actually happened, uh, people debate, because as far as records are, not a lot of real records are being found, so a lot of people seem to think that something happened, and maybe it maybe got blown a little out of exaggeration, maybe, I don't know. But just listen to this story, all right? So, uh, Sonny Bean, he, he was the son of a ditch digger, okay, and did not care for the world of hard labor. So he eloped with his his girlfriend, Agnes Black Douglas. And the two of these people disappeared. They just took off. And never and people just deemed them, uh, they moved on. No one thought about them again. Okay. All right. Now, over the next 25 years, people were coming up missing. Particularly travelers coming up certain roads, certain times of night, and it just kept going on and on and on. And townspeople started blaming innkeepers. Like, where are these people going? It has to be you guys. You guys are in this business, you know. And so these innkeepers were shutting their ends down to prove their innocence. These people still coming up missing all the time. One night, 25 years again after their disappearance. Okay. There was a young couple leaving a, uh, like a fair or something, or a festival or something. Okay. And heading home late on a back road where they were attacked by a group of people on this trail who proceeded to immediately pull the wife off the horse, slit her throat, and began cannibalizing on her. Jesus. And they attempted to do the same thing to the husband, but he, uh, I guess from what I what I read, again, everywhere and I read and listened had different facts. So I'm just kind of giving you like the things that were similar through all of them. Mm. But he had some kind of like a fighting background or he was able to defend himself and get away from this family. Okay. okay. Or this group of people. And <laughs> so um, 
He went back to town and told everybody, took him back, showed him the evidence. And they went to King James the sixth and, and explained what happened. And he, you know, says, okay, this must be where all these people for 25 years have come up missing. Okay. So they led an expedition with 400 people out and found in a cave on the shoreline, not only Sonny and his uh, wife, but a 45 member clan of all incest. Damn. Wow. Eight sons, nine daughters, 18 grandsons, and 14 granddaughters, all the product of incest. And we're all living in this cave for 25 years, breeding, How making big new was generations. The fucking cave? It was pretty big. Okay. It was pretty big, actually. And I know this because you can visit it. You can actually visit this cave, supposedly. I mean, I, I've I'd seen online that people are in question whether or not this cave is the actual mm. cave, but it uh, seems like it might be the cave. Uh, so it would be kind of easy to find if you know the whereabouts of the town that they came from. Uh, well, I mean, I guess that's what people deduct <clears throat> now. But in the day when this was all happening, they couldn't find it because the opening was just like a sliver like right in this rock hill, mm. and that during the day when the tide came in, would flood the entrance. So you'd never know it was there. Uh, okay. They could only come out at night. Yeah. Um, over their time, killed between, the numbers ranged so much, between 1,000 to 5,000 people. Damn. And uh, again, just fed on them and became really good at preserving the meat they had taken. And so when, when, the, when this group of people invaded this cave... They found pickled body parts all over the place, salted body parts everywhere, meat body torsos hanging from the ceiling, and I guess skulls, limbs, bones were Jesus. just pushed in every uh, orifice of this cave. Uh, there were different paths that went back and around that were, you know, obviously inhabited by some of these fucking 45 uh, incest <laughs> family members, but also, can you imagine the smell in there? I, I was just thinking that, yeah. No. <laughs> and not only that, but a feral group of people who know nothing but what their fucked up parents have shown them. Oh, yeah. So, you know, one, that smell probably is nothing to them because they've known it since day one. Mm -hmm. And two, feasting on a person is probably not a big deal. You know, there's probably no, never a, there, not probably, there never was a mental hurdle to get over for that. That's right. just what they come up in. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Randy's looking like he's really going to throw up. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, a little nasty. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. these snacks here. So <laughs> it's not Scottish. getting any better, people. It's not getting any better. So what they determined, one, that the wife was really the proprietor of all this. Like, at first it started with Sawney. He'd go out and rob people. I mean, he might have killed them, but he was stealing all their food and mm. belongings and bringing them back. Well, then they're like, well, we're just going to start eating these people, you know? So... On top of all the body parts, all kinds of jewels and valuables all mm, over this cave. Yeah. So it was debated what actually happened. Um, the one, two things that I keep seeing online when I research it. One was that King James had ordered the entrance of the cave be dynamite shut and that the whole clan would be left in there to starve. Which kind of sounds more humane than what everyone thinks actually happened. <laughs> Uh, the whole clan was taken into town. The men were strung up and castrated hmm. while their gen had their genitals burnt, cut their hands, feet off, and then spilled their entrails while the women and children watched. 
After this is done, and after they've killed off the men, <laughs> they burnt the children and women alive. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. So, that's some pretty dark, dark shit. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been embraced so much, you know, as like Scotland history, that you can actually go do, I can't remember what it's called, but there's an actual dungeon torture experience where you can go visit these people who are dressed as cannibals, fake snacking on bones. It's tacky shit, man. (laughs) No shit. But again, you know, people debate if it actually even happened because the records of these thousands of people don't really seem to exist. Mind you. So long ago. So long ago, 16th century. I can't imagine every asshole that came into town like getting a a paper and quill (laughs) and taking that fucking name down. You know, I don't see Why would they want to record anything like that? Uh, I don't know, but at the same time, well, everyone's like, well, where does a legend like this come from, though? Yeah. Maybe it was much smaller scale. Maybe there was cannibals. But, you know, it, I bet you I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Obviously not to this caliber with the, the age we live in. But people, there was people out there that gone missing, especially in, like, the, I'm sure, like, Pennsylvania. The Appalachian Mountains. Sure. Fucking mountain Tennessee. Would, mm. I mean, you get out there far enough, and there are people who have never seen civilization. Yeah, there's, they totally live off and the grid. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, you know, there are other films that take advantage of that medium, too. Like, uh, uh, what was that last, what was the the cabin, not Cabin in the Woods, but it was another one with the inbreds who would... Anyone that came down the road, they would break their car down and... Last house on the left? Was that it? I don't... Maybe. I don't, I don't remember. It's not the... There was, unless it was a remake. I don't remember. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's my story. Uh, the truth behind The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, the story of Alexander Sawney Bean and his wife Agnes Black Douglas and their incest clan. That's quite a story. Weirdos, yeah. That's a... Topper, I think, than any of that. Well, I don't know. And Wes, you know, Wes Craven, he saw that and he's like, uh, I want to use that. But of course, he said it to the American, you know, West. Right. And uh, much smaller scale. The rest but. is history. All right. Have, have you guys seen the movie? Oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Jack? Mm, I'll let yeah. you borrow it. It's good. It's I was looking good. for it on Prime and stuff. I didn't know it was on the YouTubes. Oh. I is it? Think... I don't know if it is, but um, maybe YouTube Red on. The in the future. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what she will say in the future. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> All right. We hope you enjoyed our tales of fright and spook. I think I really turned Randy off here. He's, yeah, he... I, I don't even want to talk about my third one now. <laughs> you should have gone first. Bessie the Spotted Cow is not going to follow that. <laughs> All right, Randy. What do you got? No, no. We're, we're cool. We can go. I, I totally you forgot had you had another one. It, yeah, you said you had three. It, okay, I'll try and follow this. <laughs> so um, my third one, <clears throat> so I just wanted to mention Orange Eyes, which was reported to be an 11-foot-tall um, Bigfoot-like creature that lurks near Mansfield, Ohio, really close here to Columbus. <laughs> um Supposedly, a thousand-pound hominid was spotted last in 1991 when it appeared uh, to be stalking two fishermen uh, and noticed this large hulking figure with the glowing eyes following them thousand uh, pounds near Mill Creek uh, before retreating into nearby woods. Some locals believe that Orange Eyes was actually an alien being due to the fact that green, a green beam and UFO were spotted in the area in the 70s. <laughs> Mansfield, calm down. <laughs> right? 
In the end, it was really... thousand-pound person walking around. (laughs) It's physically impossible. No, no thousand pounds. When you say orange eyes... Orange eyes, yeah. I just think of, like, Edgar Winter or something, like an albino (laughs) rabbit or something like that, you know? But, um, man. All right. Edgar Winter, kangaroo, bull sharks. All right, well, with that, let's get right into our interviews here. And now joining us, you may have seen him in his spot on Gotham or in the series Duels. But the reason he's here today is we're going to be talking about a few horror movies that he's in that you can find both on Hulu. And I went and checked. They're both there. And I'm going to be watching them before the uh, actual Halloween hits. But uh, first, the movie Trick. And second, the movie Pledge. We welcome actor Aaron Dallavilla to the show. Aaron, thank you so much for being here, man. Hey, happy to be here, man. Thank you for having me. It is so cool to have you here. I am so excited to check these movies out. Um, One great thing about doing this show is stuff like this that typically doesn't hit my radar hits Mm. my radar. And when I saw the trailers for these films, I about, uh, you know, horror movies are not my first go to, but I definitely want to see these films. So let's start with uh, Trick first, which looks like it uh, is a the nutshell version I got from the trailer was a classmate kind of goes crazy, kills uh, the excuse me, a kid goes crazy, kills his classmates and kind of goes on to become somewhat of a horror legend can you uh, elaborate a little more yeah so kid from a small town loses his thing and then uh, builds a bit of a following from that and he strikes ever so you know every year you know how your classic uh, heroes are i mean classic villains are oh yeah uh it's meant to be in the vein of a classic slasher uh, with an O to all those classic horror villains who return ever so often to hunt their victims. And I love the look of the guy, too. I, th- I mean, based on yeah, what I saw in the awesome. trailer, it looks like it might change here and there. But like mm-hmm. his main outfit with that, that like pumpkin mask with kind of has like a skull into the front of it. Holy cow. And he just looks very stab happy, man. He is very stab happy. And shout out to da- Gary Turnicliffe, who did the makeup. He's best known for Hellraiser. Oh, uh, wow. He, awesome. Yeah, yeah. He he worked on the makeup for that. He's an awesome dude to work with, too. Yeah, Patrick, the director, he had a very uh, – he wanted an iconic look behind Trick, and uh, I think he nailed it. I would say he so. Nailed it. He definitely yeah. nailed it. Um, now, you're, the character you play, uh, according to IMDb, is Johnny Smooth. Or excuse me, Smooth Johnny. I said that wrong. I, you know, what's funny is that when they first put me on IMDb, it was Smoothie Johnny. You know, <laughs> sm- Smoothie Johnny. So I was still on set when they added me to IMDb, and I was like, who the hell called me Smoothie Johnny? And I made a, I made a rap song, actually, that related to Smooth Johnny. And uh, I remember at the end, I was like, and who the hell named me Smoothie Johnny on IMDb? Like, I was sm- Smoothie Johnny. So I got a few names, Smoothie J, Smooth J. Uh, yeah, Smooth Johnny. So um, he's, he's a smooth guy, man. What can I say? He would you have know? to be with that kind of name. You know, you can't be clumsy named, and be called. No, no. He walks into the room and he's like, I'm here. I'm here. What are we doing? What are we doing? You know, so, he's so pretty what, cool. What is this character's, uh, I guess, his uh, his role in this film? Is he is he end up being a victim? Is he are we looking at one of our uh, protagonists? Oh, I don't know, man. I, you kind of got to watch it. To, oh, to, yeah. To, I'm to digging see what's too going hard. on. Digging too much. Jeremy. What's that? <laughs> 
I said, quit trying to cheat, man. <laughs> you know, let's, he's just a kid who wants to have fun. Okay. He's a guy who just wants to have fun. We all know, we all know what happens to those kids in horror movies, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's look at this other film uh, as well. The Pledge. Or excuse me, not The Pledge, just Pledge, uh, which you pl- portray the character Max, which, man, this one looked even more horrifying because it, it looks like a fraternity. Every, you know how all fraternities have their hazings, but this mm-hmm. takes it a step further. Are you able to elaborate any further on that? Oh, this is Skull and Bones on crack. You know, this is this is next level. This is uh, from the maker of um, Daniel Robbins, the director. He he is a great way of putting comedy into the serious situations as well. So at first you watch the movie and you'll think it's a comedy because it's funny. And then you'll see it starts getting twisted and he trimmed all the fat out of it. So there's never that moment in the movie where it lags. You ever have moments oh, in movies yeah. where like, oh, this is the boring part. No, it's a rush the entire time. And it's cool because there's nothing supernatural that happens within it. It's all realistic stuff that could happen in real life. You know, yeah. these people could actually be doing these things to other people. And that's what I think makes horror movies the most scary. I would have to agree. The dement of the human mind, you know, that what's oh. more scary than that? Forget about forget about it, man. Forget oh, about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, you yourself seem like a pretty chill guy. You have a background in music and dance. What's it like uh working in the horror genre? Is it a big big change for you or is it something you can just naturally uh, snap into? Fall right in. <laughs> and why is that? You, you just grow I up with thought, horror? I mean, why you feel so comfortable in the genre? Because uh, everyone thinks I'm crazy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone thinks I'm crazy and makes jokes that I'm crazy. So I guess I kind of get to be that version of myself that I cannot generally be out on the street. You know, when, when you're playing this, you know, megalomaniac psychopathic guy who runs a fraternity who has these ill intentions of these people you can take it to an 11 and have room left over because it is the genre because it is the world that i'm living in i can make bolder choices that are more over the top and it's just more fun it's yeah. more fun, and I can really go for it. And I, I naturally lean into that sort of Jim Carrey-esque kind of over-the-top nature. For So, you know, I've been learning recently how to play things more and more grounded. But something about the horror world is just really fun because I really just get to play. And it's a very... Um... Man, such a, we talk about this all the time on the show, about the horror community and how tight-knit it is. The most loyal people, the yeah. most loyal fans, the biggest. They'll, and they'll follow your careers. They'll literally – I've had people reach out and say, hey, I looked at this other movie. I looked at your animation voiceover stuff. I looked at <laughs> this. I looked at this. And I said, What? They literally, if they like you, they will look at go on your IMDb and look up everything. Yeah, that is so cool. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. You've got quite the IMDb list, man. It was it was quite lengthy. Thanks, man. I'm just I'm just a guy over here who's hustling, man. You know, I wake up. I'm a I'm a worker bee. I wake up. Time to knock out these auditions. Time to get the work. You know, so that when I get the job, when I book the job, it's vacation time for me. There you go. That's awesome, man. Now, I, I encourage everybody 
to uh, go check out these movies. Once again, Pledge and Trick, both on Hulu. I know I will be. Um, as far as uh, you know, making movies, man, what's next for you? Any other horror films in the pipeline, or what, what can we expect? Yeah, I'm actually attached to one right now. I can't say, but it's with this upcoming uh, horror film director. We just got to get funding. It's a sick story, dude. Really? It's an awesome story. It's about, um, I don't want to label it too much, but it's a really cool story. And I play the lead okay. of that one. I auditioned for that one. I've got three movies coming out, actually. So I've got a documentary coming out, which is about me and my, my struggle and my life. It's from the director of Pledge. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you it's able to be... talk anything about that? Uh, briefly, briefly. Uh, he's uh, I'd say it's probably one of the most special projects, and then probably one of the probably it is the project that I'm most anticipated for. I'm most excited okay. for. Okay. Uh, it's uh, it was I got really vulnerable filming it, really deep, really vulnerable, and I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think people are going to laugh as well because I'm just a naturally ridiculous person. Then I, nothing wrong with that nothing at all and then there's there's uh two other movies coming out one is called alpha rift i'm the lead in that i play opposite horror like icon uh lance henriksen oh wow so i worked with lance that was really cool um so i've got that coming out and i play i should play the hero in that one i play a fanboy who turns midi turn medieval knight so that nice. he can avenge his father's destiny and defeat an age-old demon and uh the, Third one is a uh, is a blast, and the third one is a supporting lead where I play a rapper who makes his big band and rap music. Uh, a supporting lead, and I worked a lot with uh, James Faulkner, and he's best known for Game of Thrones and Downtown Abbey. So oh, nice. that's awesome. Yeah, those three features coming out. I just shot an episode on Netflix's On the Verge. Okay. Um, so I'll be in an episode of that. Um, man, you're not kidding about the worker bee thing, are you? No, <laughs> no, man. I just auditioned for something else actually just before I jumped on this. Uh, going out for voiceover stuff all the time as well. Uh, got a sh got a sh another a short coming out. It's a comedy, but those are the those are the big things I've gotten. This documentary is just um, and then on the pipeline, I've got a couple songs coming out as well. Uh, some songs are attached to the projects. So I've got, I wrote two songs that are going to be featured in the movie, All Those Small Things, where I play the rapper who makes his boy big band and rap music. So I'll have that for my personal Spotify. Oh, wow. I have a song for Alpha Rift that'll be used as side promo. The director wants to shoot a music video for it. And then I have a song for the documentary that the director wants to shoot a music video for as well. So that is freaking so cool. We're, we're rocking. We're rocking. You know? That's awesome, man. You'll have Thank to you. uh, stay in touch with us on when these uh, projects are coming out. We'll definitely get you back on and spend some more time I'd, with you, I'd man. Love to. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be freaking yeah. awesome. Well, man, Aaron, I'm right. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today, and happy Halloween to you, man. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much for having me, man. I really appreciate all these uh, opportunities, and you know. I'll share about this, share about it. And it's just so cool, man. I'm so honored to be a part of uh, the, the Halloween special. Oh, we're honored yeah. to have you, man. Yeah, Thanks so much. Man. Thank you, man. All right, everyone. And once again, that was Aaron Dallavilla from the movies Trick and Pledge, both on Hulu, both horror films that are just so suiting for this holiday season. Uh, be sure to check him out on IMDb and uh, go to his website, AaronDallavilla.com. That's A A R O N D A L L A V I L L A.com. And now joining us 
the actress who starred in The Hills Have Eyes. She played Brenda Carter, the scream queen of the movie. You've seen the film. You will never forget that scream. And just never forget the film. Damn, is it creepy. But uh, it is our absolute pleasure to welcome uh, Suze Lanier Bramlett to the show. Suze, thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, happy Halloween to you. It's quite a pleasure to have you on our Halloween episode. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I've been pretty busy this Halloween season. I, I always you. am at Halloween time, but <laughs> particularly this year. So, <laughs> what what about this the, year makes it uh, more busy for you than other years? Schitt's Creek did a spoof on the Hills Have Eyes. The Crows Have Eyes, and all of a sudden, it has breathed new life into the classic Hills Have Eyes for, because Schitt's Creek is so popular. Right. And so um, I don't, I, people are correlating the two. Of course, they spoofed the Hills Have Eyes by naming it the Crows Have Eyes. So it's kind of cool to be associated with Schitt's Creek. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how, how, what a good show. Yeah. Absolutely. I got into it so late. I'm only into season two, so. Aren't they hilarious? Oh, my God. God they it, are, yeah. I mean, you just, like, Catherine O'Hara is just... Total favorite show. And when I got to the part, I didn't know that they were going to, um, that Catherine O'Hara was going to star, or um, Moria was going to star in The Crows Have Eyes. And when they did that, I just almost fainted. <laughs> so it's been very, it's been very cool for people to be, you know, relating the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, introducing it to a whole new generation yeah. who may not have even uh, been aware of it. So mm-hmm. that is freaking awesome. Well, they had a, a drive-in showing of the Hills of Eyes on Sunset Strip this weekend, last Friday night, and they asked me to be a guest, and I went. It was completely sold out with the youngest crowd you can imagine, and there I was um, at the drive-in on the big screen with press around and everything, and the entire drive-in, and the tickets were $56, and the wow. entire drive-in was sold out that's amazing how much fun that would be oh my god i would (laughs) love to go to something like that yeah it was a lot of fun and you know that was i was i was counting it that people are still going to watch this movie 43 years later for 56 dollars when they could watch it for free on youtube (laughs) yeah for free on youtube There is something about uh, going to see a movie you've seen a million times in the theater. I, I don't know what it is. It's a, it's just a rejuvenating kind of a feeling. Yeah, yeah. I There's love it. More to the movie when you're in the theater because it's bigger, it's dark, you're different experience. Yeah. yeah, it's it's better. Yeah, I enjoy it. Well, I had no idea what to anticipate, but the picture looked really good. It was projected very nicely, and then you know you get the sound from your car radio, and right. so. Um, it it was just a trip, man. I mean, it was really a trip for me to see my young self running all over the side of the building that it was projected on. <laughs> <laughs> what a cool oh. feeling, though. And I'm sure you've uh, been parts of so many different screenings over the years. I mean, it, it's really incredible, I would imagine, to be a part of such a horror classic. I mean, in my mind, it's right up there with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Absolutely. I mean, I talk to these guys all the time about how Horror typically doesn't really bug me. I mean, I can get, can get into it for the thrill of it, but as far as, like, bugging me or scaring me, only a few movies, and The Hills Have Eyes is one of oh, them. Oh, yeah. Especially with uh, little baby Katie. Like, that 
Uh, I don't want to say anything for those who haven't, but you know, that, that was where it kind of like really got me. But anyway, where did this movie that has really just kind of changed your life, where does it first come into your life? Well, um, I was cast in the film in 1976 and I was coming off of a lot of sitcoms and um, I had wanted to make the, you know, there's a, particularly back then, there was a saying that, you know, you either have to be a movie star or a TV star, one or the other. And I was guest starring on all the shows on TV back in that era. And um, I had come from a strong theater background and I really wanted to do movies. And so when I, when Wes Craven uh, called me in through the casting department to to meet, and he offered me the part on the spot. I jumped at the chance. My agent didn't want me to do a horror movie. He wanted me to stick with television and wait for another kind of film. And I said, no, I'm going to do this movie because I really like Wes. I'd met him, and, um, I w- and it says starring Susan Lanier, and I wanted, you know, I wanted to be in a movie and make the transition, uh, you know. Uh, not that I didn't love being on TV, I did, but, you know, I just wanted to do movies, and it's a different kind of experience. And um, so, anyway, the rest is history. I did it. <laughs> so what was, uh, I have to ask, what was Wes Craven like? He just, anytime I watch an interview of any movie he's ever done, he just seems like the most down-to-earth, just awesome kind of person. He seems like he must have been awesome. He was totally cool. I mean, he had uh, he had been a school teacher before he decided to go ahead and bite the bullet and retire from school teaching and go ahead and be a film director. And um, so he had the patience of a school teacher. He had the calm of a school teacher. And and he was not Wes Craven. It was his second film, and he hadn't become totally famous yet. And he was very focused and studied and with his choices and just so patient and sweet and a, a kind man. And he, he and I uh, went to a screening of The Hills Have Eyes shortly before Wes passed away, and um, he hadn't changed. He was just as gentle and kind as he was the very first day I ever met him. How cool to be just have that kind of background and know somebody from the start, you know, when they're just getting there. Yeah. Cause this was his, his uh, second yeah. film, yeah. right? Yeah. It was, it, it, yeah, it was, uh, he had done last house on the left okay. and then uh, I think that was it. And then, and then the hill survives. Yeah. Now, as far as filming this movie went, this was filmed in the Mojave desert, 120 degrees by day, 30 degrees by night. Uh, stories online you know i don't know what i can trust anymore (laughs) after doing this show for seven years you read facts that aren't facts sometimes but what i did read was that uh, the production was somewhat trying just because of the conditions is this accurate yeah we we filmed it right outside of victorville california if that's in the mojave desert i don't know um i'm not i i Yes, it is. I didn't think of it as that. I thought of it as Victorville, California. Hey, just like I said, you know, facts on Wikipedia <laughs> necessarily aren't facts all the time. <laughs> I know. Well, I was there, and it was Victorville, California, gotcha. and um, it was it was um, out. You know, I, I, we would we stayed in hotels in Victorville, and then 
and then we would um, travel, I think, about 30 minutes into the desert um, from the maybe not quite 30 minutes uh, from the to the set. And, you know, um, it was very low budget because they had found that old gas station. And then most of the action took place in the uh, rocks and the mobile home, right. you know, RV or whatever it's called, and um, the trailer. And so... You know, the budget was very low, um, and the conditions, like they had one trailer for all of the cast to make up and wardrobe inside. So we all shared one trailer. There had to be a bathroom somewhere, but I can't remember where. And, um, And it was pretty cramped. It was hot in the day. I don't remember it being as hot as I remember how cold it was at night. Oh, yeah. So, you know... Uh, the heat didn't really bother me that much, um, but it did get pretty damn cold. And I had a lot of night shooting shots, so it was um, it was weird. Yeah, you probably froze because you just had that, what that little T-shirt, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, frozen French fries. <laughs> you know, that, well, when I said that line, I'm in it. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Now another uh, part of uh, your your uh, portrayal of Brenda Carter is that scream, that scream, that scream. I mean, it's it's one that definitely uh, sticks with you, and you have been uh, listed as a actual scream queen, and it's won awards. Is this ac- is accurate? Yes, um, I I can't rem- remember how long ago, but I I don't know. Something popped up that I I was one of the top screamers in Hollywood, and and I thought what and um. <laughs> So, uh, but I was on a list of one of the best Hollywood screamers. So I guess I am uh, a legitimate scream queen. I certainly did scream. Uh, (laughs) I may pay for it someday, but (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it was very organic. You know, I don't even remember screaming in it. It, it, It's just as the action happened and it was pretty much organic. It was really happening and, uh, and it was not difficult to make an acting choice of screaming. It's not like Wes said scream. It's just that the action called for it, you know. Right. It just came out of my mouth. Understandably. I mean, some of those scenes, I mean, I don't see how you couldn't scream if you were instructed not to. Like, you know, like it would be impossible. Horrifying kind of uh, things, even though you're just acting. Right. I mean, put in the right circumstances, you know, and I think uh, that's the job really of uh, the actor as a career is that, you know, you organically react the way you personally would if these things were happening. And uh, I think that is um, maybe other people might react differently, but that's how I would react. I know that. I met my uh, future husband in 1977 after he had seen The Hills Have Eyes at a drive-in with his girlfriend. And the next night, his name was Delaney Bramlett, and he he was a very uh, famous rock star at the time, and he had gone to see The Hills Have Eyes. Well, the next night, I went to a nightclub where he was singing on stage and my girlfriend's husband was in the band, and we walked near the stage for her to let him know we were there. And Delaney saw me, and I'd never met him. And he came down off the stage. He, he had the band keep playing, 
put his guitar down, and he came down off the stage and he said, "Give me your phone number. I'm going to marry you. I saw you. I saw you last night, Mills. Have I? Anybody that can scream like that has got to be a good time." And I went, "Well, I have a boyfriend." He said, "I don't care." He said, "I fell in love with that girl on that screen, and I'm marrying you." And that's what happened. It was wild. Fortune favors the bold. And so, not only. Did the movie give me some sort of, I can't believe 43 years later, you know, it's still iconic, but um, a a husband out of the deal. So that's pretty cool. Amazing. And I want to touch on both things you said there really quick. Uh, First being, you know, this this movie becoming such a classic, and I'm sure everyone has a million opinions as to why, but in your in your opinion, with so much horror out there, what is it about this movie uh, that stands the test of time? Well, personally, I thought that the rawness of it and the fact that it could really happen. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, um, a lot of horror is um, not so organic and, and people make it up and they can, they, they, and it's forced. You know, are they have they they have to do a lot of gore that is unnecessary for shock value. Like I think the remake of The Hills Have Eyes was not as organic as the first one. I'm not talking about the acting so much. I'm talking about just the setup. And I think the rawness of the, uh, you know, I see people all the time on Twitter talking about, I'm getting ready to drive through the desert. I'm so scared. I feel like I'm going into The Hills Have Eyes or something. You know, it's on Twitter all the time. If somebody's driving through the desert. So I think just the fact that it could happen, like you could drive through the desert and be accosted like that. I mean, of course, some of it was um, made up, like the uh, special effects. I thought, and I was kind of shocked at the drive-in, just seeing it freshly this Friday night, that the Achilles heel, I think the special effects guy was actually pretty good, you know? I mean, it, it was pretty believable. Oh, for uh, sure. Maybe not the dad burning up so much. I mean, it was a little bit contrived, but I, I don't know what that would look like anyway. So <laughs> um, I think the fact that it could happen, and it, it was pretty raw and organic, is why it, it has lasted so long. And it was different than the other ones. You know, when I was a young girl and, and I was a fan of Vincent Price, the pit and the pendulum, well, you know, it, it, it's all kind of spooky music and special effects and, and kind of funny of in a way. Nuts. You know, I think the Hills Have Eyes was just, even though there was certainly humor in it, the relationships between Brenda and Bobby, right. you know, irritating each other as brother and sister, and me rolling my eyes at the dad wanting to pray and stuff like that. All of that is kind of real, what teenagers do, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I guess the family out there uh, as cannibals, it was, I guess, believably explained. And 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 when I look at the news and, and I see some of the thing, the atrocities that people are capable of, uh, even today, of children that are chained up and whatever, you know, uh, 
is even it's it's just as believable today as it was when when it was released. Yeah, absolutely. it really is. It really is. That's a great answer. I mean, <laughs> people never stop being messed up in the head, do they? So very plausible. Very plausible. Um, another yeah. th- a thing I wanted to touch on, uh, kind of moving away from the hills have eyes. You mentioned your uh, late husband uh, Delaney Bramlett. Is this where you yourself then uh, got into music? Because I know uh, you know you have an album out, the Swamp Cabaret, and uh, even even a music video where uh, with yourself and uh, Michael Berryman, the song uh, "Watch What You Ask For." Watch uh, what you ask for. Yeah, and that was very entertaining. But can you tell me or us rather a little bit about your uh, music career? Well, I had moved to New York from Dallas when I was very young, and um, my uh, goal was to do Broadway, Broadway plays and Broadway musicals, so I always had a love for music, and I played the piano well enough to get by when I was young, so after, and, and I had always gravitated more to um, dating before I met my husband, um, dating musicians just because I love music. I've always been attracted to people who could create music. My favorite grandpa was very musical from East Texas, and he, my grandpa, could could play blues and gospel and soul music and way out in the East Texas sticks, kind of almost in uh, Louisiana, uh, Cajun sound. And so I grew up around that. And then I moved to New York to try to do theater, I mean, to do theater. I did theater there and and musicals. And um, when I met, I've always loved both. And so when I met Delaney and he and I'd drop a, he'd be writing a song and I would say, well, what about this line? You like that? And he would use it. Then it just became through our relationship. We just started writing music together. And um, it I, I was pretty good with the lyrics. And I wouldn't compare myself ever with him musically, but, um, uh, but I, I did come up with a couple of, um, songs, melodies too, that he liked. And, uh, we did a song, we wrote a song called angel in the night, the night that John Lennon was shot. And we stayed up all night working on that song and Delaney was very close to John Lennon. And so, you know, uh, and, and George Harrison for sure. And so, you know, we, would write some of the lyrics and play on some of the music. I started it on the piano, actually, in our bedroom, and and then we'd cry, and then we'd go back to the song and then cry some more, and, you know, we stayed up all night and finished that song the night he was shot. I want to hear it now. Is it uh, available online? It is not. Um, I'm releasing it on a new EP, and I have a new EP coming out called Allergic to Texas. And um, <laughs> I, I do everything. I do everything a little bit with sense of humor, and I have a song called "Allergic to Texas." Every time I would go back and visit my mom, I would catch um, some kind of horrible allergy, and so she she's now gone. Um, she passed in 2011, but I would go back all the time and see her. Every time I go back, I would have some attack of something and she took me to her doctor a couple of times and he, he said well all i can say is i think you just might be allergic to chicks and i said that's my new song <laughs> i said okay i have to write that one and so i did and it's on the ep too i can't wait nice. to hear this how how soon can we expect that or, or do you know yet? well i should 
probably release it. It's printed. It's in CD form. I just haven't decided how. I was going to do a music video for each of the songs, and I haven't gotten around to doing that yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, if somebody wants to uh, order one, uh, they can text me and or, uh, DM me, and I will make those arrangements to get them a copy. Very They're nice. printed and ready to go. Awesome. We may, might just be taking you up on yeah, that. Absolutely. <laughs> One more question for you, and this kind of is jumping off what we were already talking about. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, all the sitcoms that you had done work on, you know, Welcome Back, Cotter, uh, Alice, Barnaby Jones. I mean, you didn't mention all these. These are just ones I found on your, on your MDB. Uh, Eight is Enough, Happy Days. These are just a few. The list goes on and on. I don't know. I really feel like this was some of the best age of television. Personally, Easily. 70s and yeah. 80s, uh, some of the 90s. I think that's kind of start, where it started this <laughs> yep. kind of drop. But it's just as far as like sitcoms, television shows go. Um, so I'm so curious with uh, someone who is so seasoned, you know, in the, one of the best eras of television, in our opinion. What do you think of television today? How it's evolved in the, uh, you know, the streaming age we live in? I don't care for much of the stuff on the major networks. I don't think that they that they're kind of stuck in a format from the 90s when it started going downhill. Mm -hmm. And I think the ABC, you know, the major networks have really copped out. They they figured out that they could make much more money by having on lots of game shows and survivor type of shows and things that they did not have to pay actors. And that's how that started going down the tubes is when, you know, reality TV doesn't cost very much uh, they don't pay the talent. I, I mean, I can't call them talent, but they they don't they don't pay the participants of reality TV hardly anything until the show takes off, and then they make um, their money through personal appearances and things like that. So the networks copped out. But what I really love about Netflix and um, Amazon Prime and some of these Hulu, they're beginning to take innovative ideas like Shit's Creek, which probably initially started off with a very low budget. They have a hotel, they have a little diner, and uh, it's shot in Canada, and um, and then a little meeting room. I mean, the budget is very, very small to start off, and they and they're short episodes, which I guess could have been filled with, if they weren't streaming, could be filled with commercials in between, which would totally kill the mo- the moment. Right. You know, yeah. if you have to watch a commercial while you're watching Shit's Creek, you know, you get very resentful of that. So um, I prefer the subscription uh, format simply so you can just watch the whole 18-minute episode or 20-minute episode, whatever it is. And I think the future of comedy and the potential is greater now than it was even back then when if you didn't work for one of the major networks and I worked for all of them, then uh, you you were just – there was no chance to make it if you didn't have an agent or someone that could get you on any of those shows. Now you can create your own content and – uh, and if it's good enough, it'll make it like Shit's Creek. You know, they yeah. did the pilot presentation and it was 15 minutes. And then they uh, and somebody said yes, and it took off and it took a while. It took a couple of seasons for attention to, you know, 
for people to pay attention. Mm-hmm. But I think it's brilliant. And, and um, I think um, there are certain shows that will last forever, like the Golden Girls and, <laughs> um, you know, certain shows. Uh, but I think the, the potential for great content is fabulous. And I think they should stop making remakes of great films because there's so many good writers in all over now. Everything is international. It's not even just LA. It's, it's national, it's international. And, and, um, uh, and they're wonderful, talented people out there that have great ideas that need a chance. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, also with the streaming uh, media, you know, like Netflix and stuff like that, there is even more of, you know, less need for a remake because, you know, some of these older films that may have been, you know, out of our reach or hard to find or, you know, have to special order. They're right there. Right there now, you know, being introduced to new generations again and, uh, you know, just very accessible. So, yeah, why why remake it? (laughs) All you're doing is confusing someone by giving them choices. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So I, 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 I'm pretty encouraged. You know, um, it's easier to get people to pay attention if something is good enough, if you self-promote. I'm writing a book right now, and I don't plan to go through. I've had a couple of people ask me if I need a publisher, and I think I want to self-publish because, first of all, the publishers take most of your profit. And I have a, a following that uh, will probably be interested in buying a copy as long as I don't charge a million dollars for a, for the book, you know. <laughs> and it, it might be just um, more fun to do it myself, you know, hire an assistant to ship them out and or to do the, the work and, and, and not have to only make six cents on a book. My friend just got a, her book published, and I think she makes – I don't know, maybe 25 cents for all the copies that are sold per book. Yeah. And and that's not very fair. Yeah, no, it's not. And I think there are even independent uh, publishing companies out there nowadays. Jack, maybe you would remember this when we were working uh, at our other job, I don't want to say, <laughs> but uh, that's also help with advertising. Not that you would need any help, but I mean, they, they give you a lot more than just reproducing the book. You know what I mean? And you still keep... Uh, I'm probably butchering these facts, but from what I remember, you still keep, you know, a good majority of the profit. Well, I mean, I would certainly go for that kind of deal. But um, some of the bigger ones, um, I've had a couple of friends that it got published by, I won't say the names, but, you know, some pretty big houses. And um, it it didn't go, it didn't, they didn't make that much money, you know. So it, it, it depends on who you do business with, I guess. Right. But... Yeah, I would certainly have an, an attorney uh, go over a, a good contract like that and jump at the chance if I could find somebody who wanted to um, set up the book tour. Yeah, absolutely. I like, I'm excited for that. Um, yeah. Any idea how and, soon that would be available? Well, I should be working on it right now, but I'm talking to you. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll take that as a cue and let you get back to work. I have a goal of finishing it by, by Christmas. Okay. Um, uh, this year by finish writing it. I'm, I'm like on page, almost page 400, I think, but wow. I really want it. I really want it to be as perfect as I can get it before I re- release it. So, you know, you edit, I, I want to finish writing it and then edit it 
and then get it to an editor maybe and, you know, whatever. I haven't decided if I'm going to do that or not. Uh, But it's very dark and it's very 60s. And, you know, it's a a murder that took place in the 60s and it's very, you know, Andy Warhol era. And so um, a lot of tales of, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. That's right. Right. (laughs) I mean, who doesn't like that? It sounds right up the alley of uh, your fan base. So it sounds like that's going to be a huge success. My fan base will be interested in it. Yes, absolutely. Well, we don't want to keep you uh, from writing that book anymore. The sooner you get to it, the sooner we get to read it. So um, I just want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us tonight. It's been an absolute pleasure seeing some insight into your career and The Hills Have Eyes. Just uh, thank you so much and happy Halloween. Oh, yes. I want to wish everyone a happy Halloween and please stay safe. And what a great excuse to wear a mask, right? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't think of it that way, didn't I? Wear a mask and stay safe and for God's sake, vote. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) We will be doing all the above. Yes, ma'am. And once again, Sue's Linear Bramlett. Uh, my God, what a fun conversation. Yeah, I just love hearing stories like behind the scenes of uh, just how th- these cult classics are made. It's it's so intriguing. She's got a lot going on, too. Yeah, she Book, did. music. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Coming that, out soon, too. So. We didn't touch the tip of the iceberg no, with yeah. her. So much she has. Uh, check out her IMDb page. That's all I can say. I mean, I was on there quite a bit looking around. Uh, especially if you're, like we were just talking, a fan of those older television shows, like we are, I know we are. Absolutely. <laughs> Check them out. But uh, no, thanks again to her for coming on. It was, what a pleasure it was. And uh, now it's going to be just as much of a pleasure to talk to this next guest, who uh, again was Jason Voorhees in Friday the 13th, 6, Jason Lives. And... <laughs> Yeah, we have to do that now because we can't use the actual copywritten shit. (laughs) So keep doing them. Keep doing them. (laughs) And uh, he also portrayed Elias Voorhees in the uh, crowdfunded uh, Friday the 13th film Vengeance, which I cannot wait to see. Because in that trailer, if you think Jason was ruthless, holy shit. His dad, Papa Jason, yeah. pile it Papa, on top to make you Papa Jay's yeah. bringing it home, buddy. <laughs> bringing it home. We welcome CJ Graham. CJ, thank you so much for being here. Jeremy, this is Kane Hodder. What are you talking about? I did seven through ten, buddy. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at you! Both of you just went. Your eyes just dropped to your ass. Oh, if you knew like, the day oh, we've been snap. having, man, I tell you what, uh, that would yeah, be par hey. for the course. Thank you very much for, uh, you know, let me uh, get part of this interview and hang out with you guys for a few minutes. How are you doing? Okay. Doing good in, uh, in COVID hey, nation there. here. How about you? I imagine this time of year would keep you pretty darn busy, but I imagine uh, conventions might be a little bit harder to get to. Yeah. You know, I, I retired about three years ago from running casino resorts and, you know, picked up just doing some conventions for fun. I didn't know, you know, three decades later, we'd still be talking about Jason and the iconic image that has become of that hockey mask. And those of us who are very fortunate to play Jason, very humbled by all the fans out there that are still attracted to us. So yeah, I've been doing a few conventions. This year has been very soft, unfortunately, um, but I'm not complaining. Uh, a lot of people have lost their lives and uh, a lot bigger deal out there for them than it is me not to do a convention here and there. So I'm okay. Just do the best we can do. It's all we can do, right? Yep. It's really cool to find out that the way you uh, got this role was doing an impression of Jason Voorhees at uh, your nightclub that you owned. And uh, the right people saw you in the audience. Can you elaborate a little more on this? 
Well, I had a hypnotist show on Thursday nights, and uh, the hypnotist decided to bring in an outside production company to shoot a video of his, uh, you know, his hypnotist show because he wanted to get out there and distribute it, get some other works going on. And it just happens that a company called Real Effects uh, was the production company. Real Effects also happened to be the special effects company uh, right across the street from Studio uh, Paramount Studios. And uh, they said to the hypnotist, why don't we do like a scary scene uh, for the subjects on the stage? In fact, look at CJ. He's he's 6'3", 250. We've got a wardrobe from part four. Ted White, well, let's put him right in the wardrobe, but he can come through the screen as Jason. And uh, I said, sure, why not? You know, I'm, I'm game. And when I say this, I mean it. The rest is history. And here we are talking about it yeah. 35, 36 years later. It's incredible how, uh, you know, just some people's uh, journey into uh, these amazing roles that they portray. And when I heard that one, I was like, man, that one almost takes the cake. It's so cool. It's so just now. Had you had any desire to act at all before this or was it just kind of a spur of the moment opportunity? Exactly. A spur of the moment yeah. opportunity dropped in my lap. It's the fourth, uh, you know, the fourth quarter. There's five seconds left on the clock and we got one play left guess what? It's a touchdown. So yeah. Super Bowl. Um, and I mean that it was just unexpected. I had never intended to do any acting or stunt work. It wasn't my drive when I moved to Los Angeles area. Uh, it did develop nicely for me four or five years that I did it, played it. And then I headed back to Las Vegas, went back in the casino industry. I see. That's awesome. That's cool. Now, I, I imagine playing Jason would be somewhat challenging i mean you don't get to you know really use facial expressions except for when you saw you know the eye coming through the mask and obviously you can't talk and obviously there's a lot more to it than just hold the machete and walk that way slowly what was your technique for uh, bringing this character to life well you know twofold number one i always had a ba bad attitude all my life so that helped to bring that character to that spiciness on screen um i'd only been on the military a few years i was you know, obviously walking tall and 30 inches all around as a, a soldier would do. Um, for me, it is a, it is a challenging role. Um, people think, oh, but you don't say anything. Well, yeah. So let me, I want you to stand in front of the mirror, put a hockey mask on, and I want you to show me that you're mad, curious, angry, powerful, unstoppable. But you can't say anything. You can't show any facial expressions. It isn't really that easy. <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> you know, it is. It, it, it's very challenging, especially when you only have one eye and your peripheral vision is even gone. So, you know, impressed me. <laughs> yeah. I was very fortunate, though. Tom McLaughlin, the writer-director, uh, sat down with me and kind of gave me what he was thinking of the uh, concept of Jason coming back to life as Frankenstein uh, at that point, being unstoppable, being at that point where he started thinking a little bit, connecting some of the brain cells, curiosity factors, anger factors, flashback factors. All those key things of a psychopath, obviously. Right. And um, again, having a BA for you know most of my life, including today, I still think it was uh, fortunate for me to be able to get the role. And I'm, I'm very proud um, and humbled that I think we did a good job. And I think we, we delivered a good product on the set for the fans that are still watching it today. It's got to be one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, Randy, I'm sorry. Oh, come on to... now. That, that's, what you, that's what you say to all the Jasons you interview. I know that. Come on. No, <laughs> seriously, like the reanimation scene, uh, the death scene at the end, especially on the lake, like it's honest to Christ, the most memorable Jason movie in my memory. Uh, those two scenes alone stand out uh, from all the Friday the 13th. They were just I, that scene at the end in particular. I had to imagine that was 
hard as hell to uh, film, you know, not only being in all that, uh, you know, makeup and the mask and everything, but wrestling around in the water, on the boat, the scenes underwater. How was this executed? Well, you got to remember, you know, there's uh, there's four different lakes that were used slash pools slash diving pools. So part of it was shot in a stagnant lake. Part of it was shot in a six, seven foot pool, you know, a huge pool, of course, with fire scenes. Um, some of it was shot in a 20 foot deep diving pool when I was chained to the bottom so that you couldn't see anything. But we put a black tarp around the whole bottom. And, and I mean exactly what that is. It's a it's a, a diving pool like for the Olympics. And it's 20 feet deep. And at the bottom of that pool was me. Oh chained God. with a real chain and safety divers and they would just swim in when I would signal and give me air um, wow. so a lot of people don't understand the difference of how many different places we had to shoot and then last but not least the scene where the propeller hits the hockey mask mm -hmm. happens to be Tom McLaughlin's mother's and father's pool in their backyard in LA seriously yes <laughs> that so is... four different bodies of water to get that shot oh wow wow I was just curious, you know, I was a huge Alice Cooper fan growing up, and I just, what was what was that like? Was that part of the deal from the get-go, or was that just kind of something that happened that you kind of fell into after you uh, secured the role? Well, it was something I fell into because they'd already secured uh, Alice Cooper. For me, it's a huge, uh, you know, opportunity. Um, kind of, again, twofold. Number one, my very first concert I ever saw in 1972 Yes, I'm old, gentlemen. I was in the military 46 years ago. So <laughs> 1972, I get to see Alice Cooper on stage, Welcome to My Nightmare. And oh, then yeah, in 1986, so to be working with the gentleman was an honor. I see him the last three, three and a half years I've been doing conventions. I usually see him once a year, sometimes twice. I saw him in the last year where I did a complete wardrobe photo op with the fans. And Alice Cooper was next to me, and we put the fans in the middle and gave them an opportunity to have a photo with Alice Cooper and Jason Voorhees. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. I would love to have that on my freaking wall. <laughs> I'm going to have to find out the next convention you're going to be at and make it a point to be there. I think, don't quote me, if you, you know, I believe uh, Texas Frightmare next year in is going to be Alice Cooper and myself are both doing it. Uh, last I heard, and I believe we're both scheduled for that one for sure next year. So we'll be, we'll be doing wardrobe for that. That's Sounds like we got a road trip, Jeremy. Yeah, we've got friends in Texas of the show too. I'd love to see, so we could just make it an all-round, uh, all-round uh, Candair road trip, right? Let's right. Do it. I'd be down <laughs> for it. <laughs> now, you know, doing this research, I'm embarrassed to say I was not even aware of the movie Vengeance. Uh, I had seen like the concept art that uh, Tom McLaughlin had done for the original uh, movie like it was like a concept ending that didn't get used and it seems like that ending it seems to be the main premise for vengeance and uh, again you play Elias Voorhees Jason's father and might I just say damn you are horrifying almost probably more horrifying than uh, Jason with the mask on there's just some something about knowing uh, that's the man this psychopath came from that's even more <laughs> chilling can you tell us about this movie you know, I was fortunate. Uh, they asked me to do Jason's father, and a gentleman named Jason Brooks played Jason opposite of me, and he's a big-sized man like me, so there's some great shots where he and I square off, you know, face-to-face, -face, father and son. I enjoyed it. You know, that concept had been put out there by Tom McLaughlin back in the 80s. There's some information on some 
books and stuff that have said something about Elias Voorhees trying to bring that into the flavor of the Friday the 13th, and nobody's ever done it. And the ending never got where Tom wanted it. So with that being said, it was a good opportunity. I grew a beard for about four months. Uh, you know, they put a kind of a wig on me to make it long and stringy, like a woodsman, long leather jacket. And uh, the nice thing about it is you got to see my eyes and you got to see my facial expressions, which, which were minimal because it's the same concept as Jason. The only thing is I do right. speak in it. I do say some things and they're very short. They're more of a Rambo type, you know. You know, again, I get to be a, ba a, a bad attitude type of person. And I think we delivered a good product. I know that uh, Jason Brooks and his team have asked me if I'd be interested in doing Vengeance uh, Bloodline, which I think they want to expand on the uh, Elias Voorhees concept a little more. I think the fans are interested to see, as you indicated, a good way of putting it, you know, where this maniac came from and where he got some of his DNA. I know I would be, and just making it a, uh, you know, a full family thing, too. You know, bringing the father in after we've already had the mother and son. I, I just love the idea of uh, the lore of the Voorhees family, period. It, it draws me in even more. Yeah, and I, I will, you know, it's like, I think Friday the 13th Part 6 is where Jason may have become uh, the principal to the films going forward, because... Six, everybody was waiting to see what Jason's next move was. It wasn't as much as, okay, what's this girl going to do or that boy going to do? And if you think about it, part six, there's no nudity, which is kind of nice because you can really show it to a younger person. There isn't a lot of blood, 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 because in those days you weren't allowed to have it as you can today. Right. Otherwise, it'd be an X rating. But the nice thing about it is I think most people don't ever think about it, but I always say it. It's... Part six is where Jason has an opening just like James Bond. Kind of cool. Part six is where Jason comes back to life like Frankenstein of the 60s and 50s. Mm -hmm. Part six has a rock and roll Hall of Famer, Alice Cooper, doing the music. And part six just happens to be where Jason wears a Batman utility belt. So how cool is that? <laughs> no, I never noticed the utility belt. That is cool. But I, I, And I also never thought about the opening scene, but you're absolutely right. He walks in from the right and turns hard at the camera and slashes, right? Wasn't that what he did? Yeah. Just like James Bond turns hard and shoots. That is That's cool. Awesome. I, never, I feel stupid for not putting that together. But <laughs> well, this... you can edit that out so you don't have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to sounding stupid on here, CJ. I promise. All right. Um, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this already, but this is kind of this is in a sequel to part six. This isn't uh, just con a continuation of all the films that are already out. Uh, and this is like 30 years after Jason lives. Correct. And that's what it is. It is what what could have been a continuation of part six into part seven. You, you, Jason could have come back out of the water. There could have been some, you know, uh, communication and some parameters of the Elias Voorhees being out in the woods. And this is what it is, a continuation. I believe that uh, the 2021 Vengeance they'd like to do, I believe they're looking at, like I said, the word bloodline, which indicates to me they want to get a little more into the bloodline of um, Elias Voorhees, you know, taking a higher role into the Vengeance uh, and turning it into maybe a little different Friday the 13th, but still having Jason, of course. But now you've got the father engaged 30 years later. That'd be amazing. It's definitely on my Halloween playlist uh, for this year. I, I feel stupid. I didn't even know it was out there. I mean, I have seen other Friday the 13th, uh, 
you know, crowdfunding films, but this seems to be like the one. I mean, not only has you in it, but Elias Voorhees. I know I'm, I'm beating the same drum, but I'm just excited. Yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, um, I lost a friend of ours two years ago, Steve Dash from Jason Part 2, and he has a nice role in it playing the sheriff. And then, of course, at the end where Tom McLaughlin, who's playing the uh, grave caretaker, uh, he's in it also when he's talking to me as Elias Voorhees. Uh, so it's kind of cool that the director of Part 6 and Jason from Part 2 are involved in it. Uh, very similar to a, a film out there, Never Hike Alone, that Tom Matthews is involved in. Uh, so I think the fans are the ones that are pushing the issue. Um, and I'm, like I said, humbly appreciative that the fans are so engaged with the Friday the 13th series. And the, the fan base is just huge. Well, congratulations to you, man. What an awesome project to be a part of. And not only that, but to come back and, uh, in these, in these uh, sequels. They just, I cannot freaking wait to watch them. Yeah, they, you know, the nice thing about it, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I met all the Jasons. I know them all personally. Um, I am going to be doing a convention coming up here in Las Vegas. And, you know, I'll see Tom Matthews there. And these things just kind of pop up where you get to see everybody. I mean, I, you know, I get to meet and see all the Michael Myers and, you know, obviously Robert, Freddy Krueger. And um, it's kind of nice Leatherface and RA and everybody that I get to meet. Right. And on top of that. You know, you'll be sitting in a convention and four tables down is William Shatner. And you just kind of go, I'm, are you serious? And you're just looking down and looking back the other way and there's the fawns. And you're kind of going, okay, this is interesting. I wore a hockey mask, but here I am sitting with these folks. Right. And for me, it's an honor. It's an honor and a privilege. And I, I mean that respectfully. You know, um, like I said, 46 years ago, I was in the military. And one thing I took away was a little bit of integrity and some honor. So... When I get to do that and sit there and talk to my fans and, you know, answer a question that I may have answered 2,000 times, I still get the same passion behind it. Because for that fan, it's the very first time that they've ever heard the answer to the question. That's such an amazing perspective. It is, honestly. And that's what I was just going to emphasize myself. Um, we've had people on the show who say, I'm just so sick of being asked the same question and even been warned with some people we're going to talk about. Don't ask that question because you'll set him off. And I, the attitude you have about it is perfect. I mean, yeah, it's the fans that uh, really have you where you are, right? Exactly. Period. There's, and you can negotiate all you want, but at the end of the day, uh, when you had your distribution of your film, if the fans didn't go see it and talk about it 30 years later like they're doing, then either you didn't do a good job or, you know, they didn't like your film. But if they're asking you questions 15, 20, 30 years later, you should be very, at least I am, appreciative that you had an impact on people's lives generationally. I mean, I have six-year-olds come up to me and ask me questions. I have 14-year-olds in full wardrobe and people that are my age, 63, walking around in wardrobe at these shows. So, you know, to me, it's a humbling experience and I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm grateful you have that outlook. And it's, it's just one of those things. It's just, it's linear. It's just going to keep going and going and going. New generations keep finding it. Now, are there any... Yeah, it is amazing. Are there any other uh, upcoming projects that we should be aware of? Well, back in January, before we had the the uh, outbreak, I did finish a project, uh, 13 Fanboy. It's uh, Dee Wallace. You may know her from uh, Cujo and The yeah. Mother and E.T. She's got the lead in it. And uh, Kane Hodder, uh, Laura Park Lincoln, uh, Corey Feldman. 
to name a few. And uh, we got all that shot. It's done by uh, Deborah Voorhees. You may remember her from the Friday the 13th film. And uh, the other producer, Joel, they've done some good work. And I'm sure it's ready to go for distribution. But I think everything is on hold this time. So, you know, the projects have been set back. But that was the last project I got off my uh, plate, which was in late January. And then February, I got one last chance to go to Sweden and meet my fans there at a convention. And then everything in March kind of shut down up till the last month. There's been a few brave souls that have started conventions up in some of the states where the virus has been low maintenance, so to speak. And um, everybody's doing everything we can. I mean, they'll be doing uh, checking the temperatures at the door, everybody wearing masks, myself included, hand signing tag, everything you can other than just sit in a room and stare outside we're doing. And, um, you know, it should be successful, but, you know, it's one of those things that you still have to be consciously aware of what's going on. Exactly. Right, right. Well, I, I cannot wait to uh, see that film. That sounds amazing. You'll have to let us know uh, when information's released on the release date, and we can uh, help you guys promote it, maybe get you back on. Got it. As far as where people can find you, I was able to find you on Instagram at cjgram underscore, and you also have your website, uh, jason6, which is vi.com. Is there anywhere else people should be checking you out? Well, I mean, anybody puts C.J. Graham in, you know, the website, you're going to find 15. But, yeah, Jason6, you know, V.I. or Jason6.com, Hellcop.com, cjgram.com. They all go right to the website. And it gives people an opportunity to buy items on the site that may not be able to get to a convention or it may just not be practical for them to drive 100 miles or, you know, pay $100 to get into a show where they can buy. Uh, I just mailed out today a machete and two hockey masks and two photos to fans that had went to the site, bought stuff, and were excited to get something, you know, because everything is kind of in slow-mo right now. And I got to check out some of the stuff on there. There are a lot of cool options. Like you said, hockey masks, machetes, all kinds of pictures. There's even one with you and Alice Cooper on there, if I'm uh, not mistaken. There is. There is. And uh, I just, you know, uh, that's the same one that Alice and I both autographed. Uh, Fans love that one. And, you know, I'm fortunate to have a few that I – you know, have a autograph with Alice that he's autographed for me, along with a guitar. I had a autograph years ago. So, you know, one thing about, you know, when I retired, I was running casino resorts. I was a chief operating officer, general manager of two casino resorts, one in Rancho Mirage and one in Palm Springs. And the nice thing about running resorts and casinos is you have all these celebrities that come in and perform for you from Steven Tyler to, I'm just, you know, Montgomery Gentry to Melissa Etheridge to, you know, Deborah, uh, Debbie Reynolds, you know, and I would have them sign microphones and guitars for me. And years and years and years ago, the very first guitar I ever got signed was Alice Cooper. So jealous. How amazing. Well, I really hope that we can make it down to Texas and uh, see you. And if we can't make it there, we'll definitely uh, catch up with you some other point. But CJ, I want to thank you so much for being here and uh, just thank you for your service, man. My pleasure. You know, Randy, I didn't get to talk to you too much because Jeremy hogged the mic, but <laughs> you did a good job, buddy. You did a good job. Uh, yeah, I uh, appreciate not screwing up too much. Thank you for your patience, sir. <laughs> yeah, let him let him have the the big big lead today, and you take the next interview, buddy. <laughs> that's that's what, okay. <laughs> really quick, you got to share. You got to share. It's called good karma. Trust me, it works. That's why I need him here. I can't see him. I can't see him. That might be a good thing if he's not wearing pants. Oh, well, that's a very good you know. thing. Hey, thanks for even wanting to hear from me, guys. I appreciate it, okay? Thank you, man. Have Thank a wonderful you, evening. And again, there are there it was our conversation with C.J. Graham. 
dude is cool. Absolutely. Dude is really cool. And uh, just I love hearing the method, too, you know, talking about because I, I think people must think that a lot. Like if if you're playing Jason Voorhees, you just have to kind of walk in a slow direction one way. And that's, you know, uh, of course, pick some people up, stab them through. But a lot more goes into that portrayal than one might think. And super nice guy, but it's still intimidating talking to Jason on the... Yeah. <laughs> well, at least we're doing it through microphones right. and not where he can reach you're out and safe. actually snap our necks. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, okay, very good, and I, we hope you guys enjoyed all those interviews as much as we did. Because holy crap, amazing people! If, if there's one place we never fall short, it's Halloween. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, always have great guests yeah. on, and boy, is that just that that takes the cake, I think. So let's top this episode off with a little uh, event here that I guess we're just going to have to let Randy explain. Go, Randy, why don't you go ahead? So obviously, since a lot of us are too old to trick or treat, or we're not going to get to because of fucking covid mm-hmm. i decided hey let's do some candy let's let's eat something on the show because sure. you know you know you assholes haven't had an orbits yet and i have and I, just, I figured it's, it's that's time. on you though yeah, figured... it's all on you you're like hey i'll drink this <laughs> i'll poison myself i'll be your bitch just so let me drink it <laughs> just get, keep me on the show guys come on um <clears throat> so what i did is i went out and i found some japanese candy and snacks all the way to japan I did not. Uh, Where did you get this stuff? Let me ask you, because I was under the impression that you just ordered it via, like, through the mail. I From did. I, I understood I his it. wife ordered it. Randy had no part. <laughs> <laughs> so my assistant, no. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she'd love that. Put the shovel down, Randy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you guys don't find me the next episode, you'll know what happened. Um, no, we ordered it off Amazon. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, and this just came in, like, a bunch, or did you have to order all these little pieces? No, it came in, like, a, a 30 trial pack of you just type Japanese candy into Amazon and there's like a little you know 30 piece mm-hmm. kind of sampler so we've got some fun stuff there are places in town I think you can buy this stuff but I guarantee you probably got a great deal or your wife did rather excuse me <laughs> <laughs> let's eat some candy <laughs> okay. um, he's gonna kill us Uh-oh. and not only that I to go with the theme and I figured we'd, I don't know how half this shit is so we're gonna need something to drink I also got a couple can or a couple bottles of Ramune which uh, looks like Listerine is a Japanese soda. <laughs> if you're asking me, no one did, but I've just thought for that anyway. So my son and I get this all the time. He loves it because basically what it is, is it's called I've got a drive when I go home. <laughs> it's non-alcoholic, Jack. You're fine. Okay. Uh, but it's called a fun marble drink. So basically what it is, is there's a plunger on the top of this and a marble that you plop down in. And actually, it helps with the carbonation, theoretically. What? So, yeah, here. So it's like putting a... Well, let's uh, do the candy first. In the, or, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is your turn. Let's do it. No, it's cool. I was just going to say, uh, you open it up here. So, like a Mentos and a Coke? <laughs> no, I would not do that to Jeremy. So, you take your nipple and you put push, it on this thing. Push the button and a nipple pops up. Pretty. And then you just push down. Good Christ. What? <laughs> okay. Push down, Jeremy. You can do it. Oh, I feel like such a big man. To, is there something I have to take out of here? Yeah, push you, the middle, like, get yeah. on the top and push out. No, no, no. Look look at me. Like that. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> yeah, Jack. Yeah, just, just like that. Pop that out. There you go. Oh, I got it. For your health. And then push that down yep. in there? All right. There you go. And we are done? And we are done. It's ready to consume. You that can take the, the green thing out there, Jeremy, so you can actually drink it. But. <laughs> that was, was fun. Off to the candy, then. Oh, <laughs> did you drink it? 
has an interesting smell. I've, so I've got melon flavor. And I've got strawberry. I got watermelon and it smells like real watermelon. So this might be a treat for oh my God, Jack. this is awful. German makes me laugh all the time. It's not oh, uh, uh, it's like um Red pop. It's like cream soda. Okay. Is what it tastes like. This is all right, I guess. It's got a... It's like fizzy, juicy watermelon, I guess. You guys want to pull off this? No, no, I'm straight. <laughs> I, I'm good on the melon here. All right. All right, so let's crack into some of this candy. And I have no fucking clue what most of this candy. is, so... I mean, this doesn't even look like candy. This is like oyster crackers. It's like they're snacks, too. It's not just candy. This okay. looks like dry ramen. This looks like a product that would be in a purse. Yeah? Like a like a hygienal product. Well you gotta Pull eat it? Grandma's purse. So Jack, what do you what are you popping open here? It says mini and then a bunch of kanji <laughs> on the front of it, so it looks like by the picture it looks like ramen. It sure does. It looks like broken up dry ramen. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty safe bet that's what it is. That's good too. Is it? Yeah. Let me try let me get a drag on that shit. It reminds me it's of like, Big League Chew, the way you have to reach in there and grab it. It's like chips. It tastes like chips. Okay. Mm, that is really good. Mm -hmm. Like like burnt potato chips, kind of. But. Ooh. So far, so good. All I'm right, going to right. try Texas corn, because it looks good. And that's where Susie's are. Or Sue's, rather. Excuse me. That's got a big octopus-looking thing on the front of it, too, so. Yeah, it does. Is that the thing that looks like oyster, oyster crackers? Oh, wow. These are not corn nuts. <laughs> Holy shit. Just puffs. Like Cheetos without the Cheeto. Got a nice crunch to it. It's like a small like cheese puff without the cheese and just like very, 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 very light like corn nut like It's almost seasoning. like a corn puff and some type of seasoning, like the cereal. Like where you were to... It's almost like a taste like... Captain Crunch without sugar. It's like a... Corn puff and like a Chex Mix type. I just of. don't think they need fucking abundance of sugar like like we do here uh -huh. in the United States. Yeah, no, they stay like so thin and trim. Corn puff with Chex Mix flavor. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what it tastes like. All right, so I've got some long cylindrical <laughs> thing with an old guy <laughs> with. Um, Gross. <laughs> he looks like he has something on his right. mouth, and it says "boom," and there's some guy that's really happy. Oh my so, god! There is I mean, nothing about that description. Am I wrong? Oh, no, you're not wrong. Okay. But just the way you like have this very phallic candy bar, very veiny, girthy candy bar. <laughs> it's not a candy bar. It's like a giant like Cheeto with a hole in the middle. Is it? It's like a zag nut. Oh, it's crunchy. Is there another Is that one? A churro? Is it this this thing? Yeah. Some no no. It's one of these. Yeah. Here, you guys break an end, end off. Break an end off, Jack. Ugh. Oh, well, <laughs> there you go. We got to make sure we're describing this stuff because I mean, people are just hearing a bunch of chewing oh, at this point. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a hard flavor. Hey, grab it's like some napkins if you want to spit shit out. It's like a big Cheeto, but there's like a. I don't even know how to describe that, Jack. Do you? Poop. <laughs> you are not endorsing this. Now I don't want to take a bite. I don't like it. That's probably a different flavor. <laughs> It's weird. It's like grimace on Jeremy's oh, face. It offended my senses. <laughs> That's how mine was. It's like Is spicy it? and sweet, uh, and I don't know. It's like bile on a stick. 
I didn't like it. <laughs> I want my mommy to eat these, <laughs> these corn fucking things again. I'm going to try this gel in a tube, I guess it <laughs> is. Oh, you are a brave bastard. I know. It's got my... It's curious. There's a bunch of little kid happy faces. Oh, there's a couple rabbits and animals. <laughs> so it's just a, just a slender... It's just like one of those ices that you yeah. get and get in the freezer. Uh, I don't know. But it's like jello. Feel it. Oh, no. <laughs> Fuck no. It feels like gack in a tube. Yeah. Oh, my God. Do it. Do it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. It's... Oh, my God. It's like a big booger. So it's like a worm. Like as he squirted it in his mouth, it just kept the form of the tube. It's like a big fucking tapeworm or a washed up jellyfish. I thought it would be slurpable, but yeah. it's not. It's, it's oh hell no, man. Were you gonna no eat way. it? Or you're like, just gonna sit there. No, and poke I'm just it. gonna let it sit there. I you think we're gonna that. eat all this shit, Randy? There's no <clears throat> way, son. No fucking way. All one right. of these ramen things good. I'm, I'm going to help you guys out you And I'm going to try this nasty one There is, and the only way I can describe this Is it looks like a gummy asshole It's like, you guys remember <laughs> Yeah, because I'm not eating that <laughs> shit no. it, You guys remember the uh, The Lifesaver gummy candy yeah, yeah This literally looks like one that got like left out in the sun for days on end So why does that entice you? <laughs> because nobody else is going to eat it and... <laughs> I want to lick the asshole <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all out of the long, phallic old man thing, so now I need asshole. <laughs> I like to live dangerously, Jack, right? Oh, my God. I'm opening man, up... I can't s- even look at that thing anymore. Yeah, that is fucking <laughs> gross. That is disgusting. I thought it was going to pour into my mouth, but it didn't. It just... I right. did, too. I saw your face sh- turn. I was like, what's happening? Oh. And then I... <laughs> oh, no. What am I doing? What? Smell that. Oh, my God. <laughs> cat food. Dude, there is no fucking way. Smell it. It's it's like raisin, but bad raisin. Yeah, my sinuses are stuffed up. I can't. Smell it. <laughs> it smells like a fucking dirty person that in a comic book store or something. All right, this is for you, listeners. Did you eat one of these already? It's fucking salty. That's how mm. assholes I think. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be used to that taste oh, by now. Fuck no. <laughs> oh god, that is horrid. Yeah. Oh. What'd you expect? You did not set it up as with a good description. I, on I the other it was hand, just like a raisin or something, but found what I want to call a safe bet: bacon potato pretzel. Hey, bread. Three words that should go together. Yeah, I need to get the taste of asshole out of my mouth. I don't know how this will. Oh, taste. those are nice watermelon. Oh my god, those are really nice. If these had that handy cheese snack dip. cheese, oh, hell oh yeah. dude, they're, they're literally like the sticks that mm-hmm. come with those. But these. Oh, that tastes Our like bacon potato. potato. Yeah. yeah. That's nice. Mm. That's really nice. Bacon the Japanese potato. have done it again. How much more of this shit we got to eat, Randy? Eh, a couple more. <clears throat> a couple more? Here, Jack. Actually, no, Jeremy. I'm you you get to try one. this one. Here's another fun no, thing with a bunch I'm of... I'm not, no. Oh, come on, dude. It's not that bad. With a bunch of It's not the gummy it. asshole, I promise. All right, so uh, I've been handed a, a, a jello shot... It looks like. Yeah, it's a fair, fair. It has white grapes and red grapes on the top, so I'm guessing this is a grape flavor. Oh, my God. It can't I'm... be as bad as that thing that I had. Oh, dude, I don't know. I'm already seeing this thing. and <laughs> It looks like the fart putty. I saw it... a video of Randy eating it. Just oh, Jesus. It. Bottoms up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is it like a big booger or what? Uh, <laughs> dude, the consistency. No. <laughs> Just no. No. I mean, the taste wasn't bad. It's the consistency that's so horrible. I have to imagine it's what you felt. Just solid in the back of your throat. I had to like really mash it up with my tongue. It didn't just like that thing. You would have felt it slither all the way down your throat, (laughs) like a tapeworm. Yeah, Yeah. that's all. That's pretty much all I can. What you eating? Looks like Fruit Loops. Looks like Funyuns. What the fuck they look like? Many Funyuns. Let me have one. I can't. I can't smell anything. Get the taste of that shit out of my mouth. Yeah, I've still got. Yeah. I don't know if they're the good or not. They got not much flavor to it. The aftertaste. Yeah, it's got a weird. What is that? I just think that it's honestly the simple fact that it's not slathered in the amount of ingredients we're yeah. probably used to. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's a all weird puffy corn. It's, but it's, I mean, I think you're essentially just eating the puffy corn, very, very, very light seasoning on it. Yeah. Yeah, but I can't figure out what the seasoning is. It's almost like a seasoning salt, but I don't know. It's got like some weird, like sugary kind of. Got a sweetness to it. All right, Jack, pick me out something disgusting. <clears throat> really quick, I'm going to try this thing that has a little boy's face on it. Okay, it's a happy child. On a pink package, but it looks like a cracker, two graham crackers with icing, maybe? Yeah, like animal cracker type. Wow. Oh, Jack, hand me that guy right there. Wow, that is a strong-smelling yes. cookie. I think I know what these are. This is good. Is it? Yeah. There's another one in there if y'all want to break it up. Break me off a piece of that. Japanese cookie. <laughs> Here, Jack. Make a wish. That was pretty good. I could eat a whole box of that shit. Oh, that's not bad. Oh my god, that's really good. I would. It would get sickening. Really quick, probably. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's, milk. there's enough of that that icing in the middle, or enough cookie that it, it probably would keep you from getting it. Yeah. Reminds me of the. We, me and Ryan were uh, downtown at Goodale Park over the summer, and. This truck pulled up like a. It looked like an ice cream truck, and we're like, "Hell yeah, ice cream! Let's go right. get some ice cream." But on the way <laughs> over there, we realized it was a specifically themed truck that were handing out uh, free samples. Oh, cool! Okay, and they were just raspberries, like big freaking raspberries dipped in chocolate, and they were so good. And that's mm. what that tastes like. That's what it reminded me of. All right, so I grabbed a bag, and it's literally. I, th- I think I know what this is, but it's a ghost with sticking his tongue out and stuff's exploding. So I think this is like Japanese Pop Rocks. Oh, man. Mm. So put them on your tongue and then get your tongue on that mic. Yeah. Will do. He's doing it. Hell no, I'm not get eating it a that. a little wetter. Get your tongue a little wetter. Actually, you call that Pop Rocks, boy? I've been popping rocks since you were at your mama's tea. You want to try some? <laughs> How are they good? Yeah, they're not bad, actually. There's like a... It's like a little candy in there, too. It's like a spree type. Oh. That's, that's good, though. That's different. That's how you pop some rocks. <clears throat> well, I'm sorry. That's how it's done! <laughs> got, some, <laughs> got some experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Jack Frampton. <laughs> Do you feel <laughs> like Dracu? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to probably duck out now. I don't want to eat everything. All right. Fair enough. But, Randy, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, aside from anything that's supposed to have a jelly form to it, this has been pretty good. Um, it's going on from my throat. The te- <laughs> feels <laughs> weird. <laughs> the Texas corn stuff was probably my favorite, but... Yeah. 
Very good, very good. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to us chew and uh, swallow. <laughs> swallow. And Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to cannedairpodcast.com or you Actually, can see. Do you have Pop Rocks left? Why don't you put Is some in your in mouth there? and say the ah, real. They're in the back of my throat. Say the roll. Right here. Put them on your tongue and then say the website roll right. with them. Go to cannedairpodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, become a patron, buy some merch, see some of our YouTube videos, and if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on your contacts page. The sound of a voice sparkling, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, electricity. <laughs> Don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandarePod and on Instagram at Can underscore Air. And again, that website Jack was talking about, CandarePodcast.com. Patreon is on there. Merchandise is on there. Get a tasty T-shirt. Get on that merch, or excuse me, get on the Patreon page and get access to the show. You're missing out on the Candare Patreon pod. Good stuff over there. Uh, what am I forgetting? Just check out Jack and I every Tuesday on our Facebook page, Twitter, or excuse me, Facebook page, Twitch, and YouTube as we go live and play some Jackbox, hang out, win surprises. There it is. There it is. Lots of good stuff happening. Lots of good stuff happening. Lots of rocks are popping over there in Jack's <laughs> mouth. They're not stopping. <laughs> Jack may have a problem. <laughs> okay, so we're about to sign off and do our closing roll here. Do you want more in your mouth for it to say, to say your name? Randy, you want to do the same? I don't think there is anymore. No? Damn it, Jack, you shot the load. Yep. Happy Halloween, everyone. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Stay safe out there and be excellent to each other. <laughs> you had a chance to be all alone, but you're not alone. This is your last dance and your last romance. Yeah, because he's back. He's the man behind the mask. And he's out of control. He's back. The man behind the mask. And he crawled.
dog. Hi, puppy. Nice puppy. Oh, no. Don't run. It'll only make things worse. Mutt. Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. It, it's really not that big of a deal. We can cut it. It's fine. No, I'm sure it's going to be great. It, no, it's really not. Let's do uh, it. We have a big field that leads... Nah, fuck it. This has been a Canned Air production. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access.